Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like commodity. Back on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value blues. Right. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and making sure everybody in your company is either connected to the customer or connected to the exits. Today, I am thrilled to have a really special guest, uh, a new friend, Doug Gordon. Doug, welcome. Hey, Mark. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, Doug's, Doug's in from, from across the pond. He lives in uh, Ireland. And uh, Doug is a, a successful executive in his own right. He's been in the financial services industry. Now he's kind of transitioned into being a consultant, uh, coach, and speaker. Doug, tell us a little bit more about your practice. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mark. So, yeah, I spent 21 years in the investment world, working my way up from customer services to sales support, to sales, to sales manager, to sales director, to head of sales and marketing, one of the biggest fund managers in Europe. And then I had a near-death experience. So that completely transformed my life. I initially got into coaching and, uh, sorry, into healing and then, then turned to life coaching, business coaching, on-stage performances, and then radio shows and everything like that as well. I've got a TV show coming out next week, and sorry, next year as well. So yeah, various different things. Obviously, the uh, the sales side of things has been something that's part of my life all the way through. Whether it be in the corporate world or even obviously trying to sell myself now uh, to customers and trying to create as much value as possible in what I'm doing now. You know, I love what you're doing. You know, we've had a couple conversations. Found out that we're very much kindred spirits. We think very much the same way about consulting. And I noticed on your website, one of the areas you like to work on is giving the CEO uh, an understanding of their role in account management. And, you know, that's something that's really near and dear to my heart. I believe that everybody in the company is involved in the, should be involved in understanding how their role connects to the customer. And uh, that includes the CEO. And sometimes we just give the CEO the, the role of just being the putting a cape on and being the super closer, but it's way more than that. Tell us what, what your thoughts are on that. Sure, Mark. So I use an example. I was in Vegas a few years ago and uh, I was staying in one of the hotels over there and there was this really friendly chap out of the front door, he used to smile at us every day as we walked through the door. And his name was Phil. And after a couple of days, I said to him, I said, Phil, you have got the best energy. Tell me, like, what is it? What makes the difference that makes you so happy all the time? And he said to me, Doug, I love my job. He said, and the reason why is I've got a fantastic boss. He never interferes with me and the clients. All he does is comes up to me every day and say, Phil, is there anything I can do to make your job better? 
Is there anything I can give you to make your job easier? And is there anything I can say to make you feel better? He never interrupts me with any of the clients, never even has interest in clients. All he really has interest in is me and making sure that I am happy. And because of that, I absolutely love my job. And because of that, the only thing I ever give out to the clients is pure love and happiness. Whereas I used to work somewhere else. And where I was somewhere else, the boss there, he was constantly watching me, constantly trying to see what I did with the clients, whether I was doing my job correctly all the time. And I felt like a bit of fear all the time. And because of that, I didn't really succeed in the job as well as it should have done. And I think the biggest thing, what comes from that story is, is that the CEO's job is to focus on the people within the organization and make sure they're truly happy in what they're doing so they give the best to the clients. It's not the CEO who's the salesperson. And when they realize that and stay out of the salesperson's way, the organization will work much better. Yeah, there's a famous Richard Branson quote that very much uh, parallels that, right? It Take care of your, your people and the the, how they take care of your customers takes care of themselves. Your most important set of stakeholders are your employees. hundred yeah. percent. I, you know, I, I love that. Now I am all about customer perceived value. So uh, I believe that everything that a business does is should be done to create value and value only exists in your customer's mind. So I have this weird um, dichotomy between we want our people to be happy, but it only matters when those people do something to cause your value to come into existence between your customers' ears. Um, so business is a lot more like brain surgery because you're, you're causing something, you're only going through two holes, their ears and two other holes, their eyes, to get something to happen in the middle of their cranium. And um, so there's this dichotomy of love up your people, make sure they understand, but the way you measure their ultimate success is by what happened between your customers' ears. A hundred percent, Mark. And, you know, at the end of the day, most, a lot of salespeople, when they start off, they forget that they have two ears and one mouth and they use them in the opposite way. And that is one of the biggest problems in sales. And if you ask the right questions to understand the needs of the customers, so you can add as much value by matching to their needs, to their values, then you can create the best possible win-win outcome for them. And in turn yourself as well, because you're much more likely to get the sale. Whereas what happens is most people try to push their products on people without really seeking to understand the full dichotomy of what the person is looking for in terms of a sense of value. You know, it's, it's really counterintuitive to some people that the best listener wins and the way I explain it see I please try to improve on this if, if you can but the, by listening better it's relatively easy to turn what you're selling into what the customer is asking for and so if if you ask the question of what they're looking for and help shape the customer's expectations about what they could expect. It's oftentimes in a, it's uh, an exercise of broadening their vision of what they might be able to expect and getting them to ask for more, especially if it's something that you're really good at providing. But oftentimes there are knobs on our offer, on our product, or on our service that we can turn to fit the client. It's just a matter of asking the question so you know what settings the knobs should be at. A hundred percent, Mark. And do you know what? When I first started off, I remember 
utilizing a, a tactic, I have to say, that um, was in line with this, where I would ask all the different questions in terms of what they were looking for. So they might say, for example, I used to sell funds as in you know, mutual funds and hedge funds. So I would say, OK, um, you know, what are you looking for? And they might say long term good performance, consistency of those returns, high risk adjusted returns, a really good person involved in terms of the fund management and then a good organization backing them as well. So I would then utilize exactly what they told me to write down in front of them, literally on a piece of paper. Okay, well, this is what we do. And I would show them the proof of all the different things they just talked about. And in front of them while doing that, I would, so do you agree with me? Then we've got good long-term performance. Yes, perfect. Tick the box in front of them. Do you agree that we're consistent in our returns? Yes, brilliant. Tick the box in front of them. Do you agree that we've been producing the highest possible return for the lowest possible risk? Yes, great, tick the box. And literally by the end of it, you've got them to tell you everything that they want in terms of value, in terms of your product. And as long as you have the right product for you, for them, sorry, then you can tick it off in front of them. And subconsciously through NLP, they're seeing that and they're going, oh, well, wow, this product's amazing. It ticks all my boxes. It's got everything that I value the most. I'll buy it. So it's a very clever way of doing it. No, exactly. And I guess going further from the fund manager to an actual consumer, to an investor, you know, some of them are looking for retirement. Some of them are looking for uh, college expenses for their kids. Some of them are looking for a tax minimization. Well, it might be the same investment product could meet multiple of those, but if somebody is looking for a secure retirement, don't sell them uh, tax minimization. It's it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, the way I the easier way I explain it is uh, a cruise ship. Think of a cruise ship, and down one hallway, every single one of those staterooms looks exactly the same. But inside those staterooms, there's one couple trying to save their marriage. They're trying to go on one last trip before they decide they're going to divorce, right? They're, they're just desperately, one of them's on their honeymoon, just getting started. One is dating, deciding if they want to get married. One is, you know, a couple having an affair. One is a family having a family reunion. Everybody is buying something different. But the cruise line, if, if you were just a cruise line operator thinking, I got this stateroom for you, and that's all I'm selling, you wouldn't fill those staterooms nearly as well if you had asked the question, what is it you're buying? I'm buying, I'm buying saving, you know, I'm buying family time. I'm buying a romantic weekend. I'm buying just a fun vacation. Whatever they're buying, that's what you have to sell to that individual person. Oh, I, I totally agree, Mark. And actually, there's one thing you can even kind of tweak slightly and add into that as well, is understanding in terms of what does the customer value the most in terms of even their social life. So, for example, I, I'm not an American, so I'm, I'm going to make this up. But let's just say he's a he or she is a Lakers fan. And you have a particular salesperson within your team that you know is a massive Lakers fan and really interested in all the players. Why not put that person, that salesperson involved with that client? Because at least then as well, once the, you know, the client relationship has been built up, you can keep that as a long term relationship as well, because they've got something in common that's aligned to your customer values as well which is something. And actually, one other thing in terms of leadership of, say, you know, CEO of a sales team and everything like that is to also instill 
the mentality in their brain of what is the customer, who is the customer, and what is the added value you're doing in every single thing you're doing. So for example, I'll give you a quick one, was I had an IT guy who used to work for me in one of the companies that I worked for, and he said to me one day, he said, I'm fed up. You know, all I do is solve IT problems every day. I don't see the point of it, I'm gonna leave. And I said to him, I said, Chris, have a look at what we do. We're an investment management company supplying that granny or grandpa with a better retirement plan so they can have a better retirement home, give more to their children, their grandchildren, more to their charity, uh, or even have better holidays. So every single time that you solve one of those problems, you're insuring us as a company to make sure that we can give better service through you know, better valuations, better deals online, um, better research online, and in turn, give a better product or end result for those granny or grandpas. So actually, if you look at the value that you're adding to the end customer, you know, it gives you a sense of meaning and purpose to what you do every single day. And if you can install that in terms of that mentality throughout the whole organization, not even in the sales teams, then you're going to have such more positivity and much more productive uh, nature within the organization. Doug, that is a super powerful story. And I, I want to stop it and I want to underline it, put stars around it and bold face underline it. Because at the beginning of this, right, and when I, inter when I have my introduction to the podcast, I say connect everybody in your company to the customer outcome or connect them to the door. And that you, you lived that, you lived that ideal in that story. And it's not just, it's, it's, it's everything, right? It's not just giving that person job satisfaction, but think about the increased customer satisfaction, because if you can get them to take interest in the job, now as they're as you give them a job, they say, well, I understand a customer. I actually, uh, I, I think if I was this customer, this is how I'd want to implement it, right? So those tiny little tweaks, when you give them, when you point them at the customer, they start making better decisions without you having to micromanage them because they know what it's for. And they start really thinking forward to your customer rather than inward to the request as it was written up, right? To the programming request as written up. A million tiny little benefits come. Uh, the other thing is employee retention, right? Here we're, we're living in what we've called the time of the great resignation. And you told a story where somebody was about had it with their job. And did you give them more satisfaction? Did you retain that employee through that conversation or make a step towards retaining that employee? 100%. He's, I'm no longer at the organization, but he is. And I've spoken to him since, and he's very happy there as well. Yeah. And, you know, you're right, because, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, they're in a job, they may be making money, uh, but they are sometimes having, you know, when that snooze, sorry, when that alarm goes off in the morning, they're pressing snooze maybe five or six times before they can drag themselves out of bed, drag themselves in the office, and they look at the screen going, what the am I doing here? Whereas that same person might have only had three hours sleep. And yet they going on holiday the next day and they spring out of bed, spring into the taxi, spring into the airplane, spring into the pool at the other end with loads of energy because they're aligned to something that is meaningful to them, something that they value. And that's why if you can create that value of the end customer and understanding how even the secretary's energy and actions can actually implement something that adds value to the client indirectly. It makes the secretary, the IT guy, you know, the marketing staff, the sales support staff feel a lot better about their job and better about themselves getting up every day. 
because they don't just feel they're clocking in, clocking out, clocking in, clocking out. They actually feel they have a sense of purpose and meaning because they're actually implementing a better life in someone else's life. Yeah. So CEOs, company leaders, think about all the loops that get closed when you connect a customer with the, uh, your, one of your com- employees' role with the customer outcomes. Uh, the, that, that, that employee is more satisfied. That employee is more effective. That employee directs their work in the right direction towards your customer. The employee is retained. Uh, I just was, somebody shared some uh, data with the, the North American Society for Human Relations Management. And the average uh, to replace an employee costs an average of one and a half to two times their base annual salary to replace them in terms of lost productivity, all the interruption uh, ask, and the stress of asking other people to, to work, uh, the, retention co- the retention costs, the ramp up time, the ineffectiveness, one and a half to two times. But for specific roles, executives, salespeople, and technical professions, it goes up to eight times their base salary in terms of the cost to replace an employee. This particular person in your story was an IT professional. He's getting up towards eight times the base to replace them. You can't find those people. So if that person left, you're sunk for many months trying to replace them, plus the ramp up time, plus you know, all the different costs. In sales, what are the co- what are the costs that you incur when one of your salespeople leaves? Go through the go through the laundry list of what it costs you, not just the re- the hiring cost. Massive. Uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, even as a leader, a conscious leader, or whatever in the business, it's very important to make sure that you're motivating or inspiring. In fact, is what I prefer uh, the people to work as hard as possible for the clients. And I actually did a video the other day on the difference between inspiration and motivation. Inspiration comes from the word in spirit. It means it comes from within. It means it becomes when you're aligned to your best self, the best version of yourself, you're going to basically be inspired to take inspired action without needing motivation from outside of you. Whereas motivation comes from the word motive. And if that motive is a reason and it comes from outside of you. So when you have inspired action and that comes from a sense of purpose of looking after the client's needs and the client's values, it makes a big difference within your team. And also, if you have your your team, your sales team, your sales support team, your marketing team, all inspired towards the client's values as well, it means they're going to be happier. And Forbes did an article showing that happier staff are 20% more productive, happier salespeople, 37% more productive. And actually, if you have a look, even just in the happiness positivity factor in terms of businesses worldwide, uh, Fortune 100 magazine did an article showing the top 100 places to work for between 97 and 2004, their average annualized stock market returns in the terms of those top 100 happy factor was 15%. And those average outside of there was only 5%. And if you align that, if you have a look, and I'm a stock market guy, right? So if you have a look the day before Easter, the day before Thanksgiving, the day before Independence Day, and the last two weeks of the year in terms of the Santa rally, the stock market goes up 85% of those times because people are positive, they're happy, and positive people produce positive results. And if you align them to the client's values so they know they're actually adding value to someone, it makes them more positive as well. And actually one more thing I'll just add on that, which I used to do a lot, is when you're dealing with an individual customer and you know their values, also try and understand their psyche of the people that they value 
within their own organization in terms of their point of view. And the reason being for that, because let's face it, if you're selling a big product to somebody and that product is going to be costing a lot of money, there's no way they're going to be making that decision by themselves. They're going to make that decision in a committee and that committee is going to be a group of people together. So when you understand who they value in the organization, then it's very important to go and see those people as well and develop a relationship as well and understand their values as well. So that when the committee gets together, even though there may be one key decision maker, he's going to listen to all the other people that he values within that committee as well. And if you have been the sales guy that have listened to his value and gone in and spoken to who he values, you're going to have a big competitive edge compared to your comp- competitors who may have just focused on him. So I don't know, that might help someone as well. Uh, I couldn't agree more. There's, you know, how many stories do we have of somebody who talked to everybody on the committee and got everybody on the committee's needs and, and had and ticked all the boxes from everybody on the committee. And they thought that they had the, the deal won until they found out that they lost to somebody who sold to people outside of the committee, to executives that the people on the committee reported to. I think we've all heard of somebody who lost a deal because somebody sold outside the box, outside the committee, and sold to the values, sold to an executive, understood an additional outcome that somebody off of the committee was looking for that you could meet, right? So many times when that committee does their self-informing, um, they realize, geez, there's 15 people affected, but let's make a committee of six, right? And that's pretty normal corporate behavior. Mm. But so many sell, because you know when it's 15, the committee's gonna be too big and we're not gonna be able to make a decision. So let's just narrow it down to the six who can act as agents of, or who are the most impacted by. But if you have an outcome that number eight or 10 or 15 really values, maybe it's in your interest to get that six increase to seven or eight, two or three of which are natural allies or advocates for you. And so stop selling inside the the box of the committee that you were given. Try to understand your value and how your offer affects that customer's business and who outside the committee cares about that? 100%, Mark. And another thing that I used to do all the time, and I, I still do now, but particularly in the big corporate world, when you have a product and you're up against a lot of the corporations in terms of competition, is to go into you know, a buyer and ask them all you know, the, the right questions to understand their values and their needs and everything like that. But also, if they already have a product in place that they're happy with, ask them all the questions, what they love about that product so much and really kind of compliment that product to understand because you don't necessarily need to win the sale the first time round. You can win the sale in the long-term future because let's take, for example, the corporate world where I was in, in terms of mutual funds, they generally were run by a fund manager and sometimes that fund manager may retire, he may leave, he moved to a different fund or something like that. And then the underlying buyer would have an asset allocation change looking for someone else that they could replace that fund manager with. And then if you know all their values and why they liked that particular fund so much, then you can go in there and match your product to their values as long as you got the right product, obviously. So that's something that I used to do. It used to work very effectively. You know, you, you described it as, as a mechanical sales trick, but... It's way more than that. 
it's really wanting, it's, it's coming, the only way to do that effectively is to come that, at that with a mindset of being of value to that customer. Uh, understanding everybody who's in the, in that second tier, in baseball, in, in American baseball, we have uh, a saying, the on-deck circle. The on-deck circle is the person who's next up to bat after the existing batter is, is out or is retired or on base or whatever. So the on-deck circle is everybody else in the succession plan who's not at the top yet. And genuinely understanding the interests and the values of those people in the, back down in the succession plan um, is something that you do either as a as good sales hygiene, but it's best done with with an attitude of I really want to know and I really want to do the best for this organization. Uh, your feelings on that? Oh, 100%. You know, even uh, I remember so there would be oh, in the organization that I have, we'd have the chief investment officer, for example, and you get to know them. But then you get to know the head of research, the underlying fund analysts, and then you get to know the even the secretary. I took a few secretaries out in my day, not because they're good looking, which some of them were, but, no, but mainly because you know that that secretary is probably the most important person in that organization and tends to be the gatekeeper as well. There are certain organizations that had such good secretary, secretarial gatekeepers that it was very hard to get hold of the actual decision makers sometimes because they're so busy. And if you really made friends with that underlying secretary first, then sometimes they'd be a bit softer on you and then you can get through to the actual uh, you know, decision makers. So everybody in the organization has a lot of value. And actually, when I go into an organization, sometimes if I'm actually there physically in the old days, obviously before COVID, I would always go up and I would speak. I try to arrive about five or 10 minutes early and go and spend some time talking to the receptionist because the receptionist knows everybody. And you could say, look, I'm just coming in here. Uh, I'm about to meet with X, Y, Z person. Um, what do you know about them? You know, any any tricks or tips or anything like that. And generally they say, oh, actually, he's a big, you know, football fan of Chelsea or something like that. And you just never know what spark of in inspiration you might get to help you when you actually speak to the person. And receptionists are of value of knowledge. And if you show them also interest, it means next time that they see you, they might go, oh, Doug, lovely to see you, which I've had happen. And I've had it happen when somebody else, even more senior than the person I've seen, saw the reaction of the receptionist and how she interacted with me. And automatically I rang that person after I'd had the meeting with the other person and said, hi, Bob. You know, actually, I saw you in reception recently. I, I met with your colleague so-and-so. I'd love to meet with you sometime. And it really worked well because he had seen the positive interaction with the receptionist who he respected and worked with. And in turn, it created positivity in terms of energy between me and him. And then he came and, uh, you know, he's willing to see me as well. So yeah. every single person is so important and you value everybody in the organization. Yeah, um, I 100% agree. And it, it's more than just uh, being the kind of person that uh, speaks kindly to the waiters. Uh, it's, mm. it's, the, it's the mindset underneath that. If you do that for manipulative purposes, people see through it. Um, the other thing, you know, when you were describing that, uh, I had um, a, a trainer once describe that as in the terms of credibility, right? You, credibility is the coin of the realm. Credibility is what makes you believed, right? Your claim is one thing. How much they believe your claim is what gives it weight in the customer's mind. 
And when uh, somebody sees you interacting favorably with somebody they like, there's a transferred credibility. Doug has credibility because somebody that I trust was interacting with him favorably. Mm. And that gives you permission to build your own credibility with them. It, you know, it, that, that permission expires within the first couple minutes of that conversation. But the key is it gets you that conversation. Mm. 100%. Yeah. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know if that's getting too detailed and in the weeds, but it's a great way to think about the, the fact that treating somebody nice does get you that conversation, but it does remind you that, okay, now I have to, I had enough credibility to get the meeting, but now I have to start building my credibility with this person and that my trust right away. I, I can't just completely live off of that transferred credibility forever. Yeah, I, and you know what, Mark? I um, I coach at Dell in, in terms of executive coaching, and I met with the president of Dell. And before I was going into the meeting, one of the most important things I think in terms of you know, selling is to do your research. And, and like your, what you talk about, what does the person really value? And it can be obviously in terms of work, but also outside of work, which I mentioned earlier on. So when I was meeting with the president of Dell, I did a lot of research into him to see what he was interested in, in terms of LinkedIn, in terms of even Facebook and Instagram and Twitter to get a good overall picture. And, you know, I was able to see that he's got two kids. He's a rugby fan. Uh, you know, he was the president of the American Chamber of Commerce and that he was the, um, he was on the Special Olympics Committee uh, over here in Ireland. So by knowing that and then understanding his values and what he values doing and what his interests are in terms of his values, I was able to go in there and say, look, I said to him, no, I actually have spoken at the European Chamber of Commerce Conference, the Dublin Chamber of Commerce, the Tanzanian Chamber of Commerce, and, and various others. If, you, if I can ever add value to your Chamber of Commerce in terms of a keynote, I'd be delighted to. And then I said, yeah, I saw you're a rugby fan uh, of Munster, which is a big rugby club over here in Ireland. I said, I know one of the best Munster rugby club players ever. He's a friend of mine. I see you've got two children. I've got two children as well. We're at a funny age. I see we're similar age, everything like that. And what you're doing there is you're creating credibility with the person because especially when it's a CEO, if he's seen or she's seen that you've done your research and shown interest in them and you genuinely come from that interest. And when I went into that meeting as well, I genuinely went in with the intention of making him a long-term friend. I didn't go in for the quick sale because I wanted to know that if I came out of there and anybody asked him, what do you think of Doug Gordon? He'd go, super guy, really nice, met him and everything like that. And so much so that by the time I literally was talking about him and his interests and what he values, and he brought me up into his office. And at that point, I said to him, I said, look, is it okay if I tell you a little bit about my business? And because I'd shown so much interest in him, he was then interested in me. But what I also did there is I asked him permission to start selling rather than what a lot of salespeople do is they start just going and they start selling it before they've even asked for permission. So yeah. by asking for permission, you've actually given a subconscious way of switching him on so that he's listening to what you're going to say. And then I would advise everybody never, ever say how good you are or anything like that. As we said earlier on, understand their needs, understand what they want and understand what they value and then showcase if you can previous customers that you've worked with 
and you've solved the same problems. You've achieved the same values that they have as well and show them maybe through LinkedIn recommendations or whatever it might be and tell them, look, if you need to contact this person as a reference, please do. Uh, I know he'd be very happy to speak to you. And that way you never have to sell yourself and you can just let other people do that for you. And actually, I remember I literally I talked all about his interests outside. We got in there. I did a five minute, maybe 10 minute max presentation. And he said, right, I'm going to put you forward for corporate training with so and so in HR, keynotes for so and so, coaching with so and so and consulting with so and so. And I walked out of that, that, sorry, out of Dell's head office here in Ireland and I drove five minutes away. And again, valuing his time. I pulled over straight away before I thought of anything to do with myself. And I wrote him an email saying, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for telling me all about your business. You told me that you were interested in this, 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 this. And I believe that I could help you here, 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 and here. And it was so such a pleasure. And literally this guy looks after 180 different countries. I think there's 160,000 different people in Dell across the world. He came back to me in less than 10 minutes, CCing, three different people in HR for three different areas that I talked about in my email. Job done in there. A year later, I'm now rolling over with one of the people that I'm executive coaching who's on the VP level uh, to do a second term with them as well because he was happy with what I did. So it just shows you that if you really come from understanding what they value, what their interests are, and show real true interest in them, they will then listen to you and they will give you the time, give you the ear, and then you'll make the sale hopefully as well. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I was going to ask you to tell us more about your business and your services. And you kind of walked through that in that answer, right? That coaching, the speaking, the keynotes, um, working with, with company leaders. Tell us a little bit more, fill in any gaps and tell people how to get a hold of you, if you would. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm, I'm just finishing off a book, but I also just uh, finished an online course as well. Now, this online course helps people in terms of high performance success without stress. So helping you get more done in less time with less stress. And I talk about all the different things that you know made me successful. So for example, I grew an asset management business from uh, 50 million per annum sales to 1.75 billion per annum sales in six years. And I describe in that course how I did that, giving all the tools and tricks and things that you can do in order to achieve the same kind of success, whatever field you are in. It doesn't matter about the numbers. That's just, you know, the investment world. It's just, it's about increasing the sales that much. And, you know, this course is at training.dougdgordon.com. So that's training.dougdgordon with an O-N at the end, .com. And you can go on there and you get the course for, I think it's price uh, for a dinner for two at the moment. I've got it reduced down from a thousand bucks to one nine nine bucks, which, you know, please go ahead. I've had loads of people buy it already. Great feedback. Uh, have a look at my LinkedIn. There's 55 people on there. I'd say half of them have bought it already, and you can see the feedback on there as well. Super. Well, Doug, thanks a lot for your time today. We had a brilliant conversation. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. And thanks for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that sales, marketing, business is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Thanks, and have a high-value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blue.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.